Nick Cheney also will be joining us. He's actually running a little bit late for our recording. Hi, guys. Yeah. That was a very honorable impression. No, it so. wasn't. Also, by the way, Nick Cheney has quietly made his way in. Yeah. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Hi there. I'm Harrison Ford. I'm going to show up in the third act, and I'm going to yes. make this all about me. Yes. <laughs> he would never do that. No, he would never do that. He would never do that. Oh, uh, no. No. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the second film in the Blade Runner series, which is Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denny Villeneuve. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 130 of Film Tank. I am Alex Teekman, along with Toussaint Egan. Blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells interlinked within cells interlinked. Hello. No, that was great. Was that uh, was that Ryan Gosling's baseline test? Yes, that's uh, the line from uh, Pale Fire, which I definitely want to write. Like, I want to read right now. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, Nick Cheney also will be joining us. He's actually running a little bit late for our recording. Hi, guys. Yeah. That was a very honorable impression. No, it so. wasn't. It's, it's going to be so awful. He's going to listen back to this. And he's just going to like. He's gut not going to listen back to it. Yes, though. he is. <laughs> So he will be joining us, uh, probably won't miss that much, because me and Toussaint can give our initial thoughts on this film, yeah. uh, and then we'll we'll catch up with uh, with Nick. We've actually been dragging our feet a little bit on recording uh, this episode, which is funny, because we've meant to record it on, like, three separate occasions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and now we're finally getting to it, yeah. so... But that's okay, because nobody saw the film, so... You no, know, it's okay because the film is worth it, right, Alex? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess taking the positive outlook is probably the way to go. Yeah. So, good call on that. So, Blade Runner 2049 is the uh, second film in the Blade Runner series. Uh, the original film, which came out 30 years ago, mm-hmm. which happened in 2019 in, yes. the, in, in that film series, yes. uh, is regarded by many as a cult classic Yes, uh, and stars Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer. Also, Sean Gunn is in that film playing uh, the main female lead, who and she is a uh, replicant. Replicant, yeah. Uh, as well as Rucker Howard is a replicant. He's like the big evil villain in that film. Yeah. And is it is it Daryl Hannah? She's the girl who's with Rucker Howard the whole time. I yeah, think? she's also another replicant, replicant named Priscilla. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, fast forward thirty years. Uh, you know, Blade Runner has gotten its chance at a sequel mm. uh whether it be necessary or not uh it has become a real thing uh it did not do that fantastic in the theater whatsoever but um neither did the original blade runner so maybe that says something no yeah 
So this film uh, centers around a young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret that leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who has been missing for the last 30 years. So Harrison Ford returns, uh, playing the lead role of Rick Deckard, although that's definitely not the lead role in this film. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is the main character, playing the role of Kay, uh, and uh, also a Joe. Well, Kay, Joe, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also appearing in this film is Anna Diarmas, who plays the role of Joy, or, or also known as uh, Ryan Gosling's, which is a very interesting mix because it's, we got to get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Ryan Gosling who is a replicant. It's his replicant servant, almost. No, it's not a replicant. She's a artificial intelligence, okay. like uh, like private assistant um, program for his apartment. But it's. Yes. Yes. It's, it, it's an artificial being and another artificial being. Right. Right. It's an artificial being, for the most part, serving, in a way, another artificial being. Yes. As as in, by serving, I mean, as in, like you were saying, being an assistant yeah. or a... Or a companion. Companion. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, we will definitely be getting into that yeah. uh, in a little bit. Also appearing in this film are Robin Wright and Dave Bautista, who mm-hmm. uh, is has a very uh, pronounced scene earlier on. Yeah. And also Sylvia Hooks, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. She plays, uh, she plays, uh, Neander Wallace's assistant. Yeah. Uh, and Neander Wallace played by Jared Leto. Love. That's her name. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Mackenzie Davis who also has a role in, in the movie as well too. What Mackenzie Davis is from uh halt and catch fire and she plays the, replicant um surrogate ah for for joy yeah yes yeah we'll get into that because yeah, we'll get into that that whole field of characters yeah leads uh leads someone like myself to believe that oh they think they're gonna have a universe here yeah eh. yeah no so the film uh, is directed by denny Villeneuve, who's been very busy in the last uh you know three to four years he just uh, directed Arrival last year, and the year before that directed Sicario. So uh, he's really been moving up in terms of the esteem of Hollywood and also uh, in the esteem of sci-fi after Arrival getting a shot here at the uh, Ridley Scott franchise. He's really rising in terms of his profile, in terms of esteem. Mm-hmm. But for the life of me, I could not... If I was asked to describe... Venuyev's, um like style as an auteur, as a, as a director, I probably wouldn't be able to to really pin it down. I guess it would be more of like it's it's stripped back. It's a lot of very stripped back filmmaking. I, I it, it just feels very minimalistic. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. So Tucson, this is your bag. Yeah, you love the Blade Runner series. Yes, I do. Uh, at least you love the first film. Right. I don't know how exactly you feel completely about this one. Yeah. So why don't you uh, start us off and, and give your feelings about the original Blade Runner, too. I know we've hit on that a little bit yeah. in the past, but they obviously It feels go relevant, hand- most relevant yeah, they here. they go hand-in-hand right hand with, yeah. with this film, so go ahead. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of cyberpunk mm-hmm. as a genre. I enjoy cyberpunk. I came to it through anime, watching things like Akira and Ghost in the Shell when I – first watched those when I was in like junior high and I didn't come to Blade Runner, which is pretty much the, the, 
the aesthetic template, the ur text visually of cyberpunk, which is itself prim- predominantly a, a visual genre until much later on, like when the first um, when the final cut came out on DVD, that's when I first watched it. And I had always heard like very great esteemable things about it. I've always seen like shots of it and I thought like, oh wow, that looks really cool. When I watched Blade Runner for the first time, I will never forget what my first reaction to it was. I was glued to the screen and I was very much enraptured by the film, but from that very first shot where it opens up on 2019 Los Angeles, where it's just this sprawl that expands out to the horizon of all these industrial looking factories and these, and and these giant like pyramid looking like corporate structures and these plumes of fire jutting out of smokestacks and lightning hitting from the clouds. And there's not a ray of sunshine anywhere. Mm. I was like, Oh my God. It's, it's real life judgment day. This place is hell. Yeah. This is absolute fucking hell. And, and what's more is like that, that, that sequence is nicknamed the Haiti sequence. It shows a futuristic hell and it never lets up after that. Like, I, I, the one thing that I took away from that initial viewing, I felt like somebody had laid a boulder on my chest for two hours and it did not come off until two hours afterwards. And I was like, wow, that was a good movie, but I am so fucking depressed. And it, le- it left an impression on me is what I'm saying. It's like it may not have been the most positive of impressions, but it's, it's – I, I, I feel like I was able to – to have an esteem for that film and appreciation for that film, regardless of how it emotionally left me, I was able to recognize that it was a good film in and of itself. And besides, I didn't have to like deal with any of that um, that shit that was in the initial like versions of this, where Harrison Ford did a voiceover and they cut out like cru- crucial scenes, and they decided to like have some happily ever after like drive through the through the countryside, which is. Uh, pretty much disregarded from the very beginning yeah, no, of Blade but, Runner twenty forty. Yeah, nobody, nobody. No, there, there's there's none of that shit in this. Um, I will say uh, too. I have only seen the final cut of uh, the original Blade Runner. Right. Uh, however, I have seen the scenes that involve uh, Harrison Ford's uh, narration slash voiceover, and boy, he just phoned it in. He just phoned that shit in because he did not want to do it, and they shouldn't have made him do it, but they made him do it anyway, and that was fucking stupid. It's, and th- it's the tone of his voice that makes it feel almost comedic yeah. to me because I feel like when I hear the way he is saying the words he is being forced pretty much to yeah. say, it really does remind me of Leslie Nielsen's narration from the Naked Gun films, <laughs> which is not a good place to be Yeah, because no. – that is totally going for campy, mm-hmm. silly narration, and this is this is not to be this is not trying to go for parody. Dark, serious, cyberpunk, futuristic hell, as you're describing. It's so. interesting that we're saying the word cyberpunk over and over in order to describe the initial the the first Blade Runner, because technically Blade Runner predates the actual invention of that term by at least like two years. It wasn't actually created by because William Gibson's uh, Neuromancer came out a year after Blade Runner. He had already written the 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 book well before Blade Runner came out. And like he even said when he came out of the theater, I was like, man, people are going to think that I ripped off Blade Runner when I was writing this. But no, it just happened to coincide yeah. 
around the same time and draw from the same reference of, of what people thought the future was going to be after that. But even uh, Neuromancer didn't come up with the term cyberpunk. It was a, like another short story that's lesser known that came out like a year after that. And that became – Yeah, but, yeah, but, but Blade but, Runner definitely but, encompasses a it, lot of those it, Exactly. But what I'm, what I'm talking about with Harrison Ford's um, – his 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 voiceovers like the reason why that exists is because they weren't trying to go out for cyberpunk. The initial prompt for it was they were trying to go out for future noir. They were going out for film noir and going for that that same like heady like uh, like oh man it's like the dame walked into my my office and then she made me take this job and I fucking hate it but I'm gonna still do it anyway because I'm a drunk and I gotta get my cigarettes. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty much what the narration is. Yeah, yeah, it's trying to be, it's trying to be Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, but missing the mark. Yeah, yeah, mm, that's so. that's that's pretty much what it is. And eventually, just the all those those things that happened during the initial um, like early '80s, like with cyberpunk, with the first wave of cyberpunk, those all just sort of like coalesced and collapsed into one another, and Blade Runner became the urtext of. Of cyberpunk in that way, even though it predated it. And so now, 30 years later, um, we're here now for Blade Runner uh, 2049. And I got to say, when I first watched this film, when I initially watched it, I I fell asleep th- yeah. uh, during during a two-minute crucial scene between Kay and a, uh, a woman who is um, – uh, I, I can't remember the name of the character, but she is basically a – um, a, a, a sort of like digital artisan who creates uh, memories for replicants. Oh, in order that to, is a pivotal. scene. I know it's a pivotal scene. I, I went actually to, went back and, and watched the film to see that. Yeah, I went to the bathroom during that scene. Holy so. fuck, man! You have no excuse. <laughs> I fell I mean, asleep. I was tired. It's a long film. My body betrayed me. <laughs> well, I guess you're bad at. I guess mine. Your body. Your body betrayed you too. Um, but yeah. Uh, it, it it's. I watched this film and I I walked away from it feeling very cold and it didn't really leave as much of an impression on me as the original Blade Runner did. I think that in terms of, of it being a sequel of a continuation of the original Blade Runner, I feel like it is the the absolute best effort that one could encompass out of something like this. I think that it hit the mark on a lot of different points in that it understood that the aesthetics of Blade Runner are really what define it the most. And if they really wanted to not only continue off from it, but also have its own identity, they had to have that through line, but they also had to distinguish it in meaningful ways, such as when Kay is – after he's done um, dealing with Sapper, the, the, the replicant who's played by Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. he flies back to Los Angeles over what looks to be a flood wall that has – streams of water like the giant torrents of water just like pouring out of it and you you see him flying over the city that looks like a a darkened hill of favelas and you realize holy shit this is los angeles there's no lights on because apparently there was like a huge blackout that happened that's actually told in like one of three um short films that were released before this film came out that's actually really good and i would recommend them if you oh, want sounds like prometheus yeah but these are actually good <laughs> uh, i mean yeah I and mean, the, the third one at least in my opinion is really good because it's anime and it's actually a really fucking good oh, anime. okay it's really really good now when you say short films how short are they i'm talking about like 
10, 11 minutes. Oh, okay. Like short, short films, like, like little vignettes. And they're in the third one really is the most substantial. Like I would recommend that mm. out, out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you see him flying over um, the darkened like Los Angeles and you see like these peaks of light that are coming from like the – the, the the deeper alleys of, of of Los Angeles because they still have power there apparently. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really cool like visual contrast to the original where you see all these blips of light that are coming over like all these different buildings. But the problem for me is that when I first initially saw that, I didn't really get a full sense of scale because the the spinner that he's in is already darkened, and I don't feel like I was able to adequately like be able to distinguish that in the foreground from the background and so i didn't really get this sense of the immensity of scale that i got from watching the initial opening for for blade runner where it just barreled on on top of me like this giant sweeping hellscape Mm -hmm. that is now um contemporary like human civilization i just thought this is a whole lot of negative space I just don't know how to register it as anything but black and darkness. Like mm-hmm. there's there's nothing else in that. I think that just wrapping up my initial thoughts. I, yeah. There's there's lots of stuff that I want to want to talk about this film. I think that it it falls into the trap of trying to play to Blade Runner as a legacy versus Blade Runner as a film. I feel like that is the reason why the film is as long as it is. I feel like that is the reason why the film takes place in the areas that it takes place in. And I feel like it detracts way too far away from... I, 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 I feel like it, 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 it went way too above and beyond in trying to meet not only Blade Runner, but the entire precedent that is larger than Blade Runner. That's not even accountable to Blade Runner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's just like there's, 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 you're, you're, you're trying to build in the shadow of something and its shadow is cast so long, so much larger than what could even have been intended by the people who made that film in itself. So I guess those are my initial thoughts. Like you, you, like Blade Runner wasn't made to have a sequel made to it. It it was made to be a specific one-off film, just as most films of that era were made. It, it was made to be an adaptation of Philip K. Dick's um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and it just basically grew out of that. Yeah. yeah. And now we're in a day and age where pretty much there's no original thought anymore in Hollywood. And, and even if there is... That's it sobering. Usually, it usually takes from predecessors, right. just like the idea that Blade Runner is cyberpunk. Well, it's cyberpunk because of this, 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 and this. Yeah. So now anything that comes out pretty much feels like it was ripped from something that involves Blade Runner and six other different but, properties. But Blade Runner, the, like, like I said before, Blade Runner technically precedes that of cyberpunk. Yeah. It just happened to coincide along that same I know, line. Yeah. But I'm right. Right. But I'm yeah. Comparing this film that I saw, obviously the quality is in a different. <laughs> different stratosphere right but you compare the quality of this film to the actual live action ghost in the shell film that we oh saw earlier this year my god it's yeah. it's far and away a better film than well, that fucking schlock i mean this is this is it really didn't have to do much to be far no away a it, film, it really but... didn't all like this this is it, it's a night and day difference where this film is i honestly believe it is it is 
an auteur's version of a sequel. It tried to like do as much with the the format of a sequel as it could. Yeah. But you see a lot of similar visuals in this that you saw in the cityscape of of Ghost in the Shell going for the same kind of things. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I I feel like it it's it, it it's difficult to really bear that mark because Ghost in the Shell is just a whole another can of worms that I <laughs> Don't drag me back there. No, Don't I, drag me back I'm not, there. I'm not trying to, but yeah. this is the second attempt at a cyberpunk live-action film this yeah. year. And you see one that definitely bears the mark of quality and the other that bears the mark of trying to go for the yeah, box office. Of, of creative bankruptcy in, in many, no. many different ways. Scarlett Johansson was great. Um, uh, there's a lot more problems with that movie yeah. than so Scarlett anyways, Johansson. We're bringing it back to yeah. Blade Runner here. Yeah, also, by the way, Nick Cheney has has quietly made his way in. Yeah. Oh, hey. Oh, hey, hi there. I'm Harrison Ford. I'm going to show up in the third act, and I'm going to yes. make this all about me. Yes. <laughs> that would never happen. That would never ha- He would never do that. No, he would never do that. He would never do that. Oh, that. no. No. As he comes... Slowly squirming his way out of the bottom of the planet from The Force Awakens to make his appearance in this film. Jesus Christ. That's yeah. what they meant by The Last Jedi. <laughs> God, he was never a Jedi. Anyways. I know. He's not a Jedi. That's not how The Force works. He ruined He ruined Kylo Ren's life because uh, he was his father. Yep, true. So, um, <laughs> I had never seen the original Blade Runner until I, I watched the final cut right before going to see mm-hmm. Blade Runner 2049. That's a common experience, I think, with a lot of people who were intrigued to go see this. Like, if, if, if you're not, like, a diehard, like, sci-fi aficionado or even, like, a, like a, a like cinema buff, then usually you would have seen this the, the original right before the, the new one. I gotta say, um, I didn't think it was bad in any way shape or form um i think the the original blade runner for me gets all of its points from its style and its sci-fi um pioneer Mm -hmm. view it has but when i was watching the film i just kept thinking to myself boy this whole story is just stupid yeah it's pretty stupid yeah and, and to steal a line from Harrison Ford's original Star Wars appearance, pretty much all of the dialogue, I kept thinking, this is just stupid mumbo jumbo. <laughs> like, Rucker Hauer is just reciting poems for no reason. No, he's reciting uh, William Blake. That's fine. Yeah. it For someone who's not into the whole thing, I just <laughs> was watching it thinking, this is just a crazy person who's spouting off nonsense and now he's dead. I mean, th- that that... I could talk about that that actual scene when he's when he's talking it's one about of Tucson's favorite scenes in any movie. Well, it's actually not one of my favorite scenes in any movie. But <laughs> I it, thought you said that one time. You're like the Tears from the Rain monologue. Is uh, like, no, Tears from the Rain is what I like. It's like I'm talking about uh, the scene okay. where he's quoting poetry. Where he's oh, like, yeah. when he's, I get those when, when, he, when he's talking to Chu, the <laughs> guy who why. designed his eyes or something like that. He's like fiery. The angels fell. Deep thunder rolled along their shoulders, burning with the fires of orc. He's talking about. The actual replicants who have come back from the the off world colonies in order to I come mean, back and basically meet their masters in a way. Yeah. I get what he's going for, yeah, yeah, but I just don't really care. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I think I think that Blade Runner is the type of film that if you're watching it and then watching the sequel immediately after that, uh, Nick, I, I don't know if you agree with me on this. Like, do you think that, that Blade Runner is sort of the kind of film that you really needs to like breathe? That you really need to like. Sort of like maybe think on it after well, a little bit. Well, 
Just give me your honest answer. I was like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay, that's fine. I think, and I'm not trampling over you, but I'll say one thing, yeah. which is that I think Blade Runner, the original, is one of the only cases in which critical appraisal has been folded into its cult status. Yes. And I'm not yeah. saying that means it means it's a horrible movie or anything, because no. I don't think it is a bad movie. I'm a little underwhelmed by the original Blade mm-hmm. Runner in general, but I, I feel like it's one of the few uh, moments when I want to like shout separation of church and state, guys. We, I, I was I was just um, <laughs> right right before we, before we came in. It was like one of my my closing marks for twenty forty nine. Was like I was talking about how I felt like this is a film that one of its primary faults is that I feel like it is trying more to aspire as an accessor to Blade Runner's legacy versus the film itself, because I feel like it is building. It, itself in the shadow of in, in, in a much larger shadow cast by a film that never had ambitions to cast as as wide and as long of a shadow as yeah, it did i can see that yeah when you when you say that it's critical appraisal has folded into its cult status like yeah. that pretty much encapsulates that yeah. you can't make a sequel to blade runner in that way because blade runner is so much larger than the film itself now yeah. i mean like the talk about blade runner almost inevitably starts at which cut are you watching? Like, mm-hmm. when, when the shorthand for how you talk about a movie is uh, which version are you watching somehow trumps the overall artifact the, itself. The film itself, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, that I just think that says something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. So, uh, last thing I'll say about the original Blade Runner... Um, Boy, there is a scene that was probably viewed very differently 30 years ago when Harrison Ford rapes uh, the replicant. Uh, I, and I, I feel like people back in 1987 were just like, oh, man, he's getting his way. Uh, and now you, I watch it, and I'm like, oh, dude, Rick Deckard, rapist. There's there's so many layers of fucked up to that scene. I, like, just on its surface, it's fucked up. But then I don't you, even you, remember that. But then, but then you think about the implications of, wait a minute. She's a replicant. Yeah, it gets into the Westworld so territory. Is she even able to to give consent in this way? Like, is is that even possible? Like, it's it's just it's it's. I well, went to go see the film in theaters at the Music Box with a couple of my friends and my friend Brittany, and as soon as that scene came up, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah. It's not great. No, everybody was silent. <laughs> yeah. Silent. Yeah. yeah. Chewy, we're back. <laughs> dude, dude. Um. So Blade Runner 2049 um, came into this less than thrilled because I didn't love the, the original. Hmm. Um, I thought this was a very well done film. I don't necessarily think it's great or anything like that. Hmm. But I think um, we talked about it earlier this year with uh, the film The Night Of. Um, when a film hits on all cylinders on pretty much every technical level, what's the night of? I'm sorry, it comes uh, at night. It comes at night. Yeah. yeah, you're thinking of the Riz Ahmed. What are you? Unfortunately, but yes, that's the title. <laughs> yes, because I got, I got mixed up. It comes. Anyways, at night. it comes at night. Thank you for uh, coming to save me there, Nick. Well, no, at first I was like, oh, did you finish that? Because I haven't finished it. I yet. didn't. <laughs> I got one episode in, and then I heard it kind of sucked afterwards, yeah, so I, I jumped two. off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so it comes at night. Great sound design, fantastic use of music, fantastic visuals. And here we have, for the most part, in my opinion, the same thing. Even though a lot of uh, the music and the sound design and the visuals are similar to the original, I think it jumps up even that much higher in, in this film. Mm. Um, Deacon's 
hopefully finally going to get uh, like Lifetime Achievement Award Oscar because I think he did a fantastic job with cinematography here. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's his best work. I, hey, in this climate, who knows? We, you know, it's early yet, and maybe whoever the other nominees are are going to have sexual, sexual harassment <laughs> uh, allegations come up. So mm. he might win by default this year. God damn it! Or um, or he'll get sexual. Not Deacons. Okay. <laughs> not Deacons. So let's 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 talk about the cinematography. Dick Pope, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, there was Sorry, my. Dick. I, I think that my favorite scene. Um, in this film, in, 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 in the newer Blade Runner, like there's so many awesome scenes in this I, I love, but one of the most distinctive shots for me was when uh, Kay was taking his spinner from the police department in order to visit Wallace uh, Wallace Tower, like Wallace Industry, like corporation mm-hmm. and stuff, right? And he's flying. You see this tiny little iota flying through like these twin, like brutalist, like rectangular towers, and it's just like towering up. And I'm just like, that is really fucking cool. And watching that in IMAX where it's just like towering above you is like this is like Tucson core. Oh, like, yeah. I fucking love that. It was, it was incredible. This was a uh, – this was a definitely worth seeing in IMAX. Oh, yeah. That was Absolutely. That was definitely a, a great choice. Just sound, visual-wise, this was, this was just awesome. Um, the way this film separates itself for me from the original and not that – Action is a big part of of this franchise in any way, but I thought all of the action fight scenes, uh, gunshot scenes, all were just absolutely on, like teetering on Michael Mann level. And I'm not saying that they were as good, but if you're in the same ballpark when it comes to that, you're really doing something right. Right. The opening scene uh, between Ryan Gosling and Dave Bautista was absolutely fantastic, mm-hmm. and I think. It's really important for a film like this that you know you're going to be settling in for two hours and 35 minutes to start off with a really strong scene. And this film did it, and it was great. Uh, and, and even though I don't think that this necessarily reached that type of action fight sequence afterwards, um, it set a tone for the rest of the film that I felt like wasn't really there in Blade Runner, which is totally fine. But I think it's great because it's something that separates this version of Blade Runner from that version. And as, as Toussaint was mentioning a little bit earlier, it, it's important to not just make a remake of the original with a slightly different story. No. Like this film sets itself apart in a few ways, and that being one of them is that there's a lot more distinctive action throughout the entirety of the film. I think that the initial encounter between Kay and Saper when they're fighting each other and he's like bludgeoning him into the wall and they're falling through the wall. I think that it was, it was a nice way to echo to two scenes in particular from the original, which was the opening scene when that one replicant whose name I can't remember, um, is going for the Voight comp test and he ends up like shooting through the, the fruit shooting through the desk and like nailing the guy through the actual wall. And that very same replicant getting into a street fight with Deckard and knocking his gun away and stuff like that. I was like, I feel like that was a way of sort of like paying homage or conflating the imagery of those two pieces. And yet it felt distinct in that it, it didn't feel like it was, it was a scene that was, 
Not just, a pastiche. It, it's not a pastiche. It wasn't just there to crib visually and like, oh, guys, guess what? We're referencing to this. It it had a purpose within the film itself, and it just so happened to echo those same beats. I thought personally really quick about mm-hmm. that scene uh, when Gosling and Batista, when they went through the wall, I thought that was like the news saying like, you know, I'm going to tear down these walls. Like my sequel is not going to be boxed in to <laughs> – I hate you so much. Why, just, why are you guys just, looking at me? Just like finish that? your line. Yeah. <laughs> just finish it. So That's all I had. Two yeah. two other things that that I'll start off with, and, and I thought for the most part this film for me outdid the original. Um, no, I was no continue. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say for yeah. me. Yeah, doesn't yeah. mean for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, I really like the transition between uh, the evil creators uh, at the top because you have Tyrell in the in the original who. I feel like kind of fits the time period a little bit where he's this guy who's created this thing that he doesn't truly know what he's created. He's got a little bit of a Tesla vibe going on there where he's, he seems like he's got all of this power, but he doesn't quite have the capability to control it. But he wants to continue for the betterment of this horrible, awful Hill Valley 2015 that is we're living in here, <laughs> where you have the opposite, which is Wallace, who is just simply a Bond villain for me here. I don't think he's just a... I, 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 don't, I don't think that he's just this simply a... This Jared Leto's character? Yeah, yeah, Jared Leto's character. I think that... One, one, I'd have to disagree with that reading of Tyrell's. Like, I feel like he does believe that he is fully within control of what, what he has... Of, of of the empire that he sort of built, it just so happened to be that um, Rudger Hauer and the other replicants were sort of like aberrations in that effect. Um, what I didn't like about the transition between this this is one line that I don't like uh, of causality between the original Blade Runner and this one when they talk about how oh it turns out off screen Tyrell actually made like another series of replicants the uh, the Nexus uh, eights or whatever that don't have a definite lifespan and then we're supposed to retroactively uh, assume that in the question of whether rep like Harrison Ford whether uh, Deckard is or is not a replicant it's like oh is he a Nexus 8 it's like oh they got Nexus 9s now it's like oh and it turns out that he had this and he actually created this this iteration of like Nexus 7 which is um which is uh uh Rachel um Sean Young's character who's able to give birth which I thought that they didn't even need to tell me when when the scene opened up and you saw the the skeleton in the box. I knew who that was, and I knew what it implicated. And I was like, "Oh shit! This is oh oh bad. This is bad." And get into Jesus references. Oh, Yay. this is this is really. So the last thing I'll say before passing it on to Nick. Right. Um, the thing that, and it's not necessarily new. This is something that we've seen in sci-fi before. Right. Uh, we saw it done really well uh, in Alex Garland's film Ex Machina a few years ago. Um, but the idea of playing with, um. Either people not knowing if they are AI, which is is more in the first film uh, mm-hmm. than this one, uh, where pretty much um, the replicants are self aware of, of what they are, and there's yeah. there's no real line there. But the idea of of not being able to grasp whether memories are real or artificial mm-hmm. is is pivotal to the success of the story going up because you have to believe at certain points on the first viewing that Ryan Gosling actually does think that he is 
Jesus Christ. He really um, does believe that he is Deckard he and does. Rachel's like son. He does, and why wouldn't he? Because he, yeah. he's got he's got the memories, because, and why, why would he not know any different? Which I think right. was for me. But even he, he himself acknowledges the fallibility of his own memory because he understands that yeah. it's supposed to be initially artificial. But then the the whole question of and it, and it even ties back to the whole relationship uh, or absence thereof, whatever you want to say, between him and Joy is like at what point is 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 there a distinguish distinguishment between artificiality and reality? For me, though, that alone. Um sets the story of this film so far beyond the original um personally and again i can uh, see that i guess yeah. i don't i don't have the the love and affection for the original no. as a lot of people do so no. yeah that's that's just my reading of it but yeah. i i thought blade runner 2049 um definitely lived up to the hype yeah. of the of, of the critical acclaim that it received so mm-hmm. moving on to nick Hey guys! Hey! First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, still got my streak going. Haven't missed an episode. Oh fuck you! Oh yeah. One thirty yeah. going strong. Oh yeah. Um, I said earlier that I'm not the biggest fan of the original Blade Runner. And I... You lied. You're actually <laughs> the biggest fan. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! Just kidding. Uh, no, but I, I, I like Blade Runner. I think it's a very cool piece of cyberpunk cinema um, in which... Uh, Future noir. Yeah, I was going to say in which noir also gets to breathe a little in, way, in, a, in, a, in a playground outside of its own genre. So I, I love it as a cinematic experience. It's, it's, um, as a movie, I like it, so to speak. So having said that, I was not really pumped for Blade Runner 2049, especially knowing that... Um, it was three hours, and especially seeing the previews where I'm like, yep, this looks like more of a same, which is not like a bad thing, because if you're going to make a sequel to Blade Runner, like, I don't, even if I don't love Blade Runner, I don't want it to be, uh, you know, an aberration, so to speak. Right. Um, so, but that's why I was cautious going into it. I got to say, um, I'm going to be slightly overly negative about this, but I also want to preface everything I'm going to say with yes and... I want to see it again. <laughs> like it's one of the few times where like I most of this didn't work for me, but when I hear other people talk about it and say positive things about it, I'm usually like in agreement. I'm like, yeah, you're right. The movie did do that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, no, it actually did explore those themes and uh, so on and so forth. So when I say it didn't work for me this time around, I'm this is one of the times where I'll acknowledge before I even rewatch it one day that I could very well come around on this. First viewing, though, was kind of difficult. Uh, when your lead is Ryan Gosling and your villain is Jared Leto... Who do you know who to root for? <laughs> uh, and I say that as I find Ryan Gosling charming, but only when he's in like a big short or La La Land, and I didn't even like that movie, but Mode, where he's being Ryan Gosling. But because this is not Drive, you know, a 90-minute a movie mm. with... No, a, he's, he's forced to play... Mope Man version of Bruce Wayne here. Yeah, but because it's not a 90-minute movie with a killer score, like where you would put it on your own, you know, tape deck type thing. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 
I was asked for a lot here to to sit with this. Now, now that I know what it is, I think I'll be better prepared to go into it. But mm. uh, I, I I basically acknowledge that as a continuation of the Blade Runner mythos, I actually think it excels at that uh, because. For someone who's not cuckoo for Blade Runner, I was surprised by how much it was able to mine from the universe uh, of Blade Runner with uh, without having to feel like a retread. So I, I was pleasantly surprised by mm-hmm. that. Certainly, Denis Villeneuve is an extremely talented filmmaker. And one of the things I did like about this movie is watching this, I could see how much uh, Villeneuve must love Blade Runner. Like, it only came from a place of passion. I know, yeah. This is the kind of film that could only have come from a place of passion. I think that it does enough to distinguish itself from its predecessor while also acting as a continuation of it. But I also feel as though, um, in some respects, as distinct as it is, I feel like it sort of, like, buckles under the the weight of expectation that comes from the original. And I think that that comes most apparent in... um, there's a lot of scenes that are set in – not in but around the actual city, right? Around Los Angeles. There's the there's the protein farm with the, the little maggots and stuff. There is the, 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 the field of uh, derelict satellites and other things like that where they're trying to like find the, the, the kid or whatever, right? There there's is – The Fallout New Vegas sequence. Yeah, there's literally a Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> Fallout New Vegas yeah. from a dirty bomb. Like, yeah, that, that's what it is. And like all, all the journey areas that are around there too. Like they literally ma- play songs from the fifties from the jukebox. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah. There never needs to be not. There needed to be one no. in the first place. Yeah. But now, but now there literally never needs to be a Fallout New Vegas. Exactly. Movie. It's like there was ne- kind of scary. There never needs to be an Acura film because we already had. Um, well, oh, but there will be. Well, shut the fuck up. Um, Is ScarJo going to be in this one? Too? Anyway, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that right now. We're not talking about that. No, no. Okay. Anyway, she so you have all these scenes that are set. Get a chance again outside. <laughs> of the area of Los Angeles because it, it really is a film that given the 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 length of it, given the breadth of what it's trying to go after, it's trying to expand outward from that. There's only maybe like one principal scene that actually takes place on the ground level of the actual city and that's in the food court when he's when Kay is talking to Mackenzie Davis's character and he's talking about the picture of the tree and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is more indicative of the new Eve's uh, the new Eve's um, reluctance to sort of um, give us his version of what ground level is for Los Angeles because I feel like that is probably more so even than the the opening of the film, like seeing people living in this derelict hellscape where you have like little people jumping on top of cars and mining batteries and kicking over um, flaming like waste baskets and shit and there's riots and there's people like wearing translucent um, rain garb on top of like parade floats and shit. Like, there's no way he could have like met that and topped that. So, well, if I can yeah. throw something in here real quick right. while we're kind of mentioning it. So, Mackenzie Davis and her entourage crew that she rolls with and their leader. They see me rolling. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't remember what her name is. She's got the eye that's been gouged slug, out. Gouged yeah. out, whatever. Is she the hooker? Mackenzie, Mackenzie Davis? Davis? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, she, she is. I don't mean that as a derogatory. I know, but yeah. That's yeah. what her <laughs> yes. job title yeah. is. The one who. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. That one, which, yes. Who does the scene yes. from her? Yes. Yes, we're going to talk about that. I mean, it was. We're going to talk about that. Anyway, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, at any rate, 
when their whole crew shows up to gather around Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. for the scene, for the scene late in the film, um, I couldn't help but get a Lawrence Fishburne from John Wick vibe about that group. Yeah, actually, I totally thought about that too. I was waiting for her to pull a pigeon out of her ass. Yeah. Wow. And I, I don't think it would have been a cool trick. I, I don't think that's good for what that group was going for because I think they no, were going for serious. It, and it I kind of looked like uh, like a Terry Gilliam, like we're <laughs> vagabonds. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, but that whole crew is going to be pivotal in the third Blade Runner Gilliam film. That characters is not say that I don't so. think there should be a third Blade Runner film. Uh, it's going to be. I think from... that entire. I honestly believe that entire. Um, uh, like sto- fifty. That, that storyline. <laughs> we moved the story of, one year later of the replicants uh, <laughs> resistance force who's trying to um, take Deckard's daughter and pretty much anoint her as like the head of like a like an uprising against the the political order in Los Angeles. I think that is really <sighs> there are so many loose ends. At that's the, so perfunctory. That's so basic. That feels like so. I, I wish that wasn't there. I There's wish, so many loose ends, though. I, I know, I know, I know. It's obviously there in the background and stuff, but I don't feel yeah. like this should. It had no place here in this story. I feel like. No, but Can I uh, crib something from sure. another critic I uh, saw on Twitter, and I'm mm-hmm. sure he's, uh, they're not the only person who said this. Right. But one take, so to speak, I loved about this is that I do like when you boil down Blade Runner twenty four nine as. <clears throat> uh, the feeling when you realize you're not the main character in your own story. Yes. And I have to admit that resonated with me a lot. Like once I heard that spelt out, Mm -hmm. you know, and whatnot, because I totally did like the way the sequel does that. Like I like how Ryan Gosling, even though I'm not completely sold as him as the right, not necessarily him as an actor, but that character archetype to be the right choice because I felt like it was, too similar to Harrison Ford. Like, he doesn't do much else that Deckard wouldn't do. And on the one hand, that's necessary because part of his arc is obviously being somewhat uh, uh, swashbuckled into thinking that uh, he may be Deckard. But, I mean, so obviously, casting wise. Yeah, Joy was a part of that in not in a malicious way, but sort of like feeding into. the bias of of indulging or or helping to curate his fantasies as she herself is there's the line between whether or not she that that specific iteration of joy has enough cognizance and enough autonomy on her own to be able to have a sense of self of wanting of want of desire of 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 individuality to be her own person and yet to be with another person like like Kay yeah. or whether she's just operating to the program of the giant pink uh, bob-haired like uh, advert that he sees later on. Yeah. Um, I'll get to my main criticism of this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you take the threads in this movie, uh, I'm going to name the, a few. I don't, I, I'm not going to go through all of them because I think there's quite a few. But... Uh, one, his relationship with his, what is it, like a OS? His companion. Yeah, his OS companion. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. I thought that on paper and in and of itself was actually great. Like, I would watch a whole movie of that. That's that's called Her. It is. Yeah. And um, so it's kind of like we don't need it. But I also, I was into it, like yeah. this version of it, so right. to speak. It yeah. was kind of interesting, like, like Her is 
her pretty much already covered it, but at least here having that weird visualization, mm. like what does that do yeah. to, you know, your own emotional uh, connection to it and whatnot. Uh, the thread of him trying to figure out, uh, is he human or is he Deckard? Um, is he human? Is he Deckard? Is he replicant? <laughs> is he dancer? Right. Yeah. Uh, that was what I was referencing. I know. Yeah. That's what you're referencing. I thought it was like, obviously a great basis for a sequel because it's not the typical where you just like, oh, he's Deckard's son. <laughs> you know, like whatever, for no real reason. Um, the thread in which um, just, not the thread, but just his job like uh going from work to home uh and living in that area like that's a whole movie in and of itself too so like i liked all of these individual parts how they stack up together in a three-hour film i'm not entirely sure like this felt like it could have been a mini series and i would have loved the individual episodes where like maybe this episode really explores his relationship with, you know, his OS and mm-hmm. this episode, finally the, the mythology moves forward and he discovers, uh, that he's not there, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, I just think it's so far reaching that I just can't quite get together, uh, on how I feel as the whole package, but you know, I'm being kind of charitable because I think by the end of this episode, even though I wasn't even here for half of it, <laughs> I, I'm going to raise my rating just because I do admire it, even if I don't really care for it. Okay. I, w- I will say uh, this is a film that falls into a trap that a lot of other films that are lengthy sometimes fall into, where it spends so much time on character development and world building, which this does. Uh, that when we get to the climax of the film, it feels a little rushed. Like the, yeah. the, the, and the other part of it too, is that for me, I didn't even know if that was necessarily going to be definitively the climax because we had so many unanswered, not questions, but, no, un- but unanswered potential storylines. One story trumps the rest. Right. Yeah. Mm. So you have this ending, which actually was a, very fun, interesting scene where you've got Harrison Ford drowning. You've got Kay fighting love. I was surprised off on the beach. by how much I liked that climax because it was pretty generic, but I thought it was really well shot. Like, yeah. and I don't mean like it looked gorgeous. I mean just edited, and I could understand what was happening at every given time. Uh, I was surprised by I don't know why because it wasn't that special, but I thought the idea of Harrison Ford possibly drowning in this like i don't know but going with the jesus metaphor there was something (laughs) weirdly uh i don't even know if i'd say religious but (laughs) sacred about the idea that he would die by drowning which seemed like a uh, going back to my pokemon days but like (laughs) uh, technology doesn't do well in water so i just thought that was kind of interesting man i did not know where you were going with that i was (laughs) i was really i was i was Saving any type of reaction, I'm just like, where, Pokemon, where the dude. fuck are you, Pokemon? Like they're a water Pokemon, dude. What the fuck? Anyway, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah anyway, I guess. So, yeah. but at any rate, that, very clever. That that scene seemed like it just sort of started happening, and then it was, you know, it went on for a decent amount of time, and then it was over, yeah. and then we got to the Denouement, and that was it. But it seemed like, boy, it took a long time to get to the scene that didn't even necessarily feel like a climax when we started the scene. So it was, I, it was very bizarre. I got to say, I also do appreciate that Denis Villeneuve thinks that the future, the one improvement we can do with cars is make 
more space in them because I, I totally agree. Like, I always see future stuff where it's like, oh, like, how many, like a clown car, like, how many people can we fit in this fucking tight space? But no, here's like, you know what, you know, we can kind of kick back a little bit. And, you know, now that the robots do it all, why not ride in luxury? So I appreciated that. So, Toussaint, you definitely had some more, more thoughts to bring. So why don't, why don't you, you kind of open those up because I think out of all three of us, you're definitely the most interested and probably the most educated on what this film series is trying to do. All right. I mean, I, I actually really want to, and this sounds, um, this, this sounds kind of suspect, but I do want to talk about that scene between Kay. And I want to talk about the scene between Kay, Joy and Mackenzie oh, Davis. The her scene. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, when yeah. I, I went to go see this movie twice, and I want to know what your guys' reaction to it was. And you be- masturbated both times. Shut the fuck up. Let me just. It's really weird because he went with his mom let, the second time. Let so. me. What the. I did not, and I did not. <laughs> okay. I just want to clarify. I did not, and I did not. Okay, so I All went right. to go see this um, uh, the first time, and I was really sort of off put by that scene not because i i didn't like not because your I, mom I, was there but <laughs> jesus christ I, I had he did it yeah me. okay anyway i went to go see it with friends anyway um they were totally cool with it shut the fuck up you guys might want to sit. i was shut the fuck up anyway i was anyway, like i was i was I... I was sort of off put by that scene Initially, and very weirded out by it, not because You're I didn't think the first time you saw it. The first time I saw it, not because I didn't think that it should have been included, just because I was not expecting that at all. Oh, I and, was. And then when I watched it the second time, with the foreknowledge of what was going to happen, I'm just like, you know, I actually, I'm, I, I, I like this scene. I, I, I think that it works in this context because I feel like it is three different characters of different forms of artificiality interacting within a, a cultural context that are trying to um, claim some semblance of of intimacy, of some type of reciprocity in that. Listen, I know obviously there is an element to this scene that is slightly gazy with yeah. uh, as far as a hetero male because there are two gorgeous females and whatnot. And I know they're not, but... Just, I, just, I just don't understand. As far as you're getting like... Two for the price of one. I don't understand how you, people who, when it comes to TNA on screen. who who criticize this scene can at the same time praise or or not even notice or care about the equivalent scene in a movie like her. Oh no, no, for sure. I don't. I don't understand that. And, like, and what I'm going to say is that I'm totally for any mainstream movie that uh, depicts sex in a way that is is affirming. I was going to say affirming and in no way conforming. Yeah, uh, that's my big thing is that uh, you don't expect that a blockbuster will somehow uh, uh, condone, uh, shall we say, virtual reality sex as somehow being in fulfilling in, in this character arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it totally is. And so any movie, whether and I haven't seen it, but uh, Professor Marston, which came out this year, too, like any movie. And I think I mean you can find indie movies or exploitation movies from the seventies, whatever that will have that kind of message. But to but, be a major tent, yeah. ostensibly a tentpole film that, um, and to make no grievances about right. that this is what the characters well, are and, and want is pr- pretty cool. Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, which I think yeah. I'm the only person here who's seen I that know. film. Um, that bragger, thank you. <laughs> Uh, that usually that is not the case because you see pretty much everything. No, I, you have so, every right yeah. to brag. Cause yeah. That's rare. <laughs> um, that really sort of just 
embraces the idea of sexuality, especially in the 1940s and 50s and, and, I, and saying, we're going to show you what this may have looked like, and we're actually going to show you what this may have looked like. And I haven't seen it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but reports about it have praised the fact that it's not solely titillating. Like, it's, it's not like it got away with being so kinky, so to speak, because it gave the audience a boner, but because it just portrayed it in No, a, I mean, you, you see... Like, you get turned on by whatever you get turned on, but it's clearly not like a Fast and the Furious, oh, let's look at butts. No, I mean, it's... it's it's um, like the, the scene involving uh, it's Rebecca, Rebecca Hall. Hall and Bella. Bella Hico, yeah. yeah. The scene involving them, and there's a couple sex scenes in the film, but the scene involving them where they're having female sex. Yeah. Um, no one watches my guest. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know... It's not two females that are in the middle of the screen scissoring each other for three straight minutes. Right. It's They're... women who actually looking like what sex may look like if oh, there so wasn't a camera involved. So I don't have to see this. <laughs> this fucking piece of shit. I am. No, so, uh, but I believe... Yeah, I'm the only one here who watches <laughs> certain movies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway. We know. <laughs> so, but at, at any rate, just to answer your question, yes. Yeah. It, it It feels real to what it actually probably may have been like so that's the scene in blade runner 2049 for me actually i took a different viewpoint on that because did you find it to be like a hollow stop (laughs) no i I, (laughs) wait is there a pun there like i no i i I trailed off because i was that's fine but i meant did you take a more cynical reading no the reading i had on it was was I felt like it was an awkward an awkward moment for a human's life to take the form of an AI while she's basically being used as a sex machine. Which... But isn't that what you're doing when you're a prostitute? <sighs> no. Wait, wait, say, wait, say that again? When you're a prostitute. Yeah. When do you say it? Take the form of an AI. When... When you order a prostitute, you are ordering a fantasy. You are yeah. not ordering mm. another human being. Mm. So but, how is that any di- – and I don't but, mean that you're saying it. No, is. no. I'm yeah. saying but but I, I guess what yeah. I'm getting at is that she's really performing two jobs here. She's not performing True. the oldest profession in the world. Right, she right. is allowing – first of all, this is another very interesting point about this. Yeah. Is that you? we live in a world where an AI can at least partially – somehow take the form of a human? In the universe of, of yes. Blade Runner 49. Yes, yes, yes that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So, oh, you mean just visually? Like, like, yeah. No, no, visually. Okay. Yeah. Visually, right. Oh, she was doing with Danny in the same place. Yeah. I understand that. No, no, I'm but just making sure he, I got like, it. He is seeing yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Um, this actual physical form yeah. and seeing the visual creation around it, and he's actually... Yeah. Seeing that as, as he is mm-hmm. feeling this, and it so for me, it's the prostitute is performing two different jobs yeah. here, it's like it's, surrogacy and, and prostitution, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I hope she got paid more, but at True. the same time, no. What I'm saying though is that from a visual aspect, it's very, it's very, it was very interesting for me to see, um, to see the difference between an actual physical being morphing with a pure visual um, 
I thought it, say bean. I mean, I thought it was hologram. Bean. I guess. Yes, I mean, that's kind of the close thing you can call it. So, even though it's more than a hologram, I like, thought it was very surreal and very unsettling when I first saw it. Especially like seeing them phase in and out of sync. Like it's not perfectly in no, no, sync. Yeah. Like it's just kind of like. Ugh. Yeah, and with, with the, with the fingers say, draping around his 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 the back of his head. The only thing I found inauthentic about that scene is that they should have got like uh, Emma Stone to play it because that she's had experience pretending to be Asians. <sighs> yes, well, well done. Thank you. Um, thank you. I will say uh, the absolute for sure knockout. I don't know the, if she's Asian or like whatever. Anything quit to you? Knockout of the park for me. I'm just the, being racist. At the, at, at so the, is Emma Stone. Yeah. It's probably about right. At the end of that scene, uh, it's so awkward when she leaves the following morning because it's like, Ugh. yeah. Not only do I feel bad, but you were just the one who had the bag over your head, so I was, you know, physically doing that. But also, too, could you imagine the dirty talk? Like, <laughs> I want you inside, me. No, not you. <laughs> You're not supposed to be hairy. Oh God. Hey, hey. Oh God. No. Um, but I actually we're did like, like Blade Runner twenty sixty. Hey. Um, I did like that because that's that, just the kind of mature humor you'll find here. On no, this tank. is yeah. Kenny should be here for this episode. Um, he would have gave up in the first hour. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say though is that you had a, a nice red herring, actually. The bird. Just, okay, I felt like I okay. Stop making puns. Yeah. That's like saying stop breathing. But yes, we we we. We are to believe as the audience that Mackenzie Davis is actually working for right. the enemy when, yeah. in fact, she ends up saving him then later because of that. And I actually thought that was actually pretty brilliant. So. Yeah, I, I I agree with you in the sense that I like that she's introduced as a possible, I wouldn't say problematic character, but like, oh, here's another great role for females. As far as like, you know, like men. But although I will say this was actually, even though certainly the main character, but uh, as far as females go, I felt like this was a much better uh, than his predecessor, which is not a fault of his predecessor, because yeah. certainly times are different. But having his boss be female, and, you know, it definitely ran the gamut. So that was good. But introducing the... I, I wouldn't call it the the hooker with the heart of gold trope, but the... Uh, I don't know. I would call it, like, the one-scene hooker. I was a little like, oh, I'm glad they got Mackenzie Davis for that, you know, whatever. So having her actually, even if it's so simple, but having there be literally more under the surface than what we saw at first yeah. is like all you have to do to just, you know, pay a little respect to uh, your, I would say, uh, subjugated characters, uh, tertiary characters that show up on the fringe. So anyway. Yeah. So this is going completely off topic that we were talking yeah. about, but that's fine because this is the one of the few things that I definitely wanted to mention. <laughs> but and it's such a small part, but I don't know who thought it was a good idea, but somebody did, and they thought it was seriously a good idea. But I like started giggling hardcore in the theater when this happened, and that's when Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling are chasing for the to escape in their new Vegas uh, atmosphere. Yeah. And Harrison Ford locks the door and he starts running. And then we see Ryan Gosling burst through the wall like the Hulk. Oh, yeah. And that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was It was weird. so out of place I for this film. I guess that means he's a machine? Like, is that what That's fine, but... But, yeah, I don't know. That, that, like, I, I just started... 
I think actually you started giggling a little bit yeah. too because well, I giggled because so you were giggling, place. so I was like, oh, it was so out of place in this yeah. film, and it's not like he like moves through the wall. It was like, yeah, and it's so funny too because it's it. The camera's not like centered on it either, so it's not like it's like a big moment or something. Yeah. But the idea that this was extremely thought out because <laughs> it is in the shot, but that somehow this is some weird like, oh yeah, that's just a thing he does. Uh, yeah, is, is he doesn't hilarious. he doesn't need doors no. where we're going. We don't need roads. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that scene, uh, Nick, you already mentioned it a little bit. Uh, so. Part of one thing I definitely knocked this film down for is, and I know it's hard to say false advertising, but this film had false advertising. With because Harrison Ford? Yes. Yeah. It made it seem like Harrison Ford was an equal part here. And boy, Yeah, when you see the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer, right? Mm-hmm. We all got hyped, and even I don't really like Star Wars. I was even kind of hyped by seeing uh, Han say, Chewie, we're home, like, mm-hmm. That moment in that movie plays the exact same, for, which is a good thing, in the movie than when it does in the trailer. Here, when... <laughs> different recording, different scene. Yeah. You, 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 you're led to assume that this will happen much earlier on right. in the film than when it does. Like, like it, it'll be a second act reveal. Like, mm. after you've been introduced to everything, he's going to have to team up, which I'm not saying I need to see that movie. Right. But... Definitely, I will say the uh, the marketing was aimed, I think, at like diehard, uh, what you call it, uh, Blade, Blade Runner fans. Runner fans. Blade Runners. Yo. We like to call ourselves Blade. No, we don't. We don't. <laughs> nobody knows. What the, nobody knows what the fuck Blade Runner means. It just yeah. sounds cool. It it's, just. It well, really it, just sounds it means cool. People that kill. Replicants. But what? But what the fuck does that have to do with the I words read blade the and runner? Prologue are you are written. you running the blade? What the fuck does that mean? Blade runner is like you're they running around and you're blading the shit out of robots. But they don't Why use so blades. Hard? They use fucking pistols. Yeah, hey man, it's metaphorical. It's... What the fuck? Then no, stop doing this, Nick. Please, please don't. No, but it's an hour and forty minutes into this film when Harrison Ford finally shows up. Is it really? Yeah, it feels like longer. <laughs> Like I thought it was like two ten. No, it's it, it's it it's. I was no, I, I'm with you, yeah. and I gotta say, for me at least, mm-hmm. when Harrison Ford shows up in the, and I don't know why I keep bringing it up, but it's like the only other point of comparison as far as him resurrecting, uh, you know, long favorite character. Mm-hmm. When he shows up in Star Wars, I feel like he didn't miss a beat. Like he's older, but he felt like the old Tom or Tom. Tom the old Sawyer, the, the old Tom Sawyer. I was going to say Tom Sawyer, <laughs> the, the old Han Solo. There we go. And the old Tom Sawyer. Well, both. Yeah. Yes, they're both racist. No. And... Okay. Um, when he showed up here as the old Deckard, uh, he just didn't do it for me. Uh, like I don't really. Uh, to begin with, I'm not a big fan of Harrison Ford, so like I guess maybe I'm a little biased. But when he shows up here, I felt like he was really struggling to even like point a gun with emotion. Like it was just kind of. No, he came to cash a check. He did, and I felt like I didn't get that from Star Wars, even if that's what he was doing. I felt like he had more fun making Star Wars, which maybe made all the difference. But then we watch uh, interviews behind the scenes of Blade Runner. Clearly, he had more fun doing all of that. Maybe they should have filmed the scene with him actually punching Ryan Gosling first. I agree. And not last. Well, and that's why I wasn't quite expecting this because in 
the press circuit for Blade Runner 2049, and he's a delight. Like, mm-hmm. he is hilarious, and he's way more active and vibrant than I've seen him in most movies that he's been in the last, like, decade. So I guess I was... Not that I... Obviously, I, I've seen Blade Runner. I know what character he plays, mm-hmm. but I just thought that he was playing into his old age a little too much. So, yeah. while we're talking about... Actually, this has nothing to do with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to totally just veer All off right. again because, you know, I've got a lot of random thoughts about this yeah. film. Uh, the other thing I really wanted to hit on was uh, a trend in Hollywood, which is to create CGI versions of people's younger selves, which oh, this yeah. film absolutely does. And it seems to be getting a little bit better every time. So this how- is the best iteration of that so far Wait. that I've seen. Okay. I'm generally asking, when did they do that here? Uh, it's the Sean Young character. Oh, yes. Okay. She is yep, 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 yep. reincarnated that to was try actually, to I think the fact that I forgot is actually a testament to how it, decent it was. It, it yeah. actually worked because, I mean, a lot of different people other than the Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One have tried to... Yeah. Have tried to... <laughs> don't forget Kevin Flynn and Tron Legacy. Hey. Don't speak but ill of Tron Legacy. Most... Look, oh. man, that scene is fucking... Every time he's on screen, it's fucking scary. The movie is about computer programs. It's scary-ass... It's, it's a scary-ass computer program. But like that, with the Tony Stark one in... It also uh, doesn't make sense in the in the, the fucking flashback. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. Say anyways, it anyway. anyways, there's at least making it seem like it's supposed to be fantastical. It's not supposed yeah. to be real. But yeah. Starting to push uh, towards the direction we've got with the Kurt Russell one that wasn't that bad earlier this year, and then this oh, one. Oh, and Guardians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then this one, which actually. Well, they didn't go too far back with Kurt Russell. No. They went pretty far back. I mean, I guess they did, but, like, yeah. they didn't do Robert Downey Jr. No. There's a lot of confusion like, as to Ew. how involved they really were like, in they doing went that. So far back in Robert Downey Jr., that I'm like, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't even acting when he looked that way yeah like you don't have anything to really yeah. pull from no. yeah. but yeah. baby photos yeah but high here, school photos yeah sean young's cgi self comes out yeah. now very smartly very dark poor lighting which does which, wonders for cgi and it fits the movie it's not yeah. like all of a sudden it's like why are they turned the lights off but oh it was pretty good i agree it was pretty good i agree yeah i actually will admit when i watched that i did for at least a second or two, I go, oh, did, is that her? Like, did they put makeup? What? And then I, you know, caught on. Did they but get somebody else to, like, exactly. sort of, like, play like the her? the fact that I had to run through the scenarios yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, it was it was, it was was pretty, pretty spot on. I want to talk about that scene a little bit and about that encounter between Deckard and uh, Neander Wallace just because that entire, entire, entire encounter, I hated one big part of it and I hated and, and, I, and I loved another another part of it. I hated that when they were doing their whole exchange, their whole repartee with one another, that he sort of still had, like, Neander had to sort of, like, throw in that assertion of whether or not he's a replicant. And I was like, was it love or was it programming? Yes or no. And I thought that was way too explicit and they could have just cut that shit out altogether because they already had a perfect scene prior to that that did not involve him or Deckard that actually hinted at the at, at the, the, the nebulous nature of that of that answer and whether or not it could actually be answered 
was when Kay was interviewing Griff, I believe his name is, the guy who is uh, in the first film. He's the captain from Battlestar Galactica. What's his oh, name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Edward James Olmos. Edward James Olmos. He, yeah, was, he, he was, was in this movie yeah, for a scene. I, I know. That's what that's yeah. the scene that I'm talking about. And, and he's asking me, I was like, yeah, I was like, what do you remember of Deckard? And I'm just like, well, he just left and... Um, I was like, I, I knew that he wasn't long for this world. And I was like, why? Why would you say that? It's like something in his eye, and that is a a nod to the whole like fan theory about like yeah. when you watch the actual cut of Blade Runner. It's like the thing that distinguishes the replicants, at least in that iteration, like back then before like Nexus Eight and Nexus Nine, when they had like the little thing in their eye was like you could see a reflection of red in their eye that was supposed to be like indicative of them yeah. being. Like, yeah, and, and depending the time on, was just the technology of cameras back then. Red yeah. eye happened all the time. Exactly, but then it sort of like retroactively was was melded into this yeah. whole mythology about technology and humanity and things like that. I I love that scene with with Edward James Olmos. I hated that exchange between him and Yander Wallace because I just thought it was way too obvious and way too nodding. And it's just like you could have just just cut all that shit out because I'm already annoyed by this whole retroactive. Um, retcon Nexus 8 bullshit. I'm already annoyed by that shit in, in general. I, I love the ending line of that scene between him and Neander Wallace, though, when he says that her eyes were a different color. Exactly, and that's what I love because if you actually look Who back... Who says that line? Harrison Ford Harrison, does, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Deckard says like like her eyes were her eyes were green or her eyes were brown or something like that, but they actually weren't because if you actually go back to like the footage that they show of her of her Voight comp test and you actually watch the original film know her eyes are the same color the fact that he said that was because there's there, there's there's some depth to that because like he knows that this may be a perfect replica replicant of his Rachel she will never be his Rachel because he already buried yeah. his Rachel he already buried his wife his lover there's something distinct and, there's something distinct and not only that it was it was it was his way of spitting in the face of God in in, in a sort yeah. of sense because he he he's he's taking Neander Wallace's vanity his 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 megalomania and he's showing that he yeah. is still despite everything he's still human and he still makes mistakes. I don't want your condom full of feces. Please take this away. Thank you, Jared Leto. Sure, sure, but that's what I'm. What I'm what what I'm saying is like I re, I really like um, the defiance that comes out of that. I think I feel like that's a, a a strong attribute of Decker that that's carried over from the original film. So Jared Leto when he oh, I love him. cuts open that woman to murder her uh, later because she can't reproduce. I create life. Yeah, and I take it away. Boy, that did hey. feel a little bit like that, didn't it? But oh, at least boy. Eddie Redmayne was giving it. Is all. Yeah. He's given something. We expanded to eight planets. A child can count to eight. We should inherit the stars. Fuck you. You saved the human race. Go fuck yourself, man. We need more. We need more replicants. I can't make them give Why does life. he sound like an old politician? Because he's really fucking bad at acting. Um, I'll say this. Uh, he was talking about you. <laughs> Uh, if Jared Leto is this fucking genius, why can't he make himself some new eyes? I designed your eyes. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I put them there. It's like, yeah, why can't he just get Chu to make him some new fun? Oh, wait, that's because Chu's dead. He was, no, the, but- he was the only guy who knew how to make eyes, apparently. Why so didn't what- he get Mackenzie Davis to just kind of lead him around and use her eyes? Oh, you mean love? Yeah. No, I'm not, not Mackenzie. Mackenzie Davis, Davis okay. is is the the the, the paramour, picker. the paramour prostitute, like the yeah. That's what I'm trying to talk like, about. Like no, Mackenzie Davis, no surrogate eyes. No, you're you're thinking of Love, who is his actual. No, like, I'm assistant. thinking of Mackenzie Davis. Okay, stop the fuck off. I'm thinking of the person, they, those, the those, only person in the movie who the, had sex with somebody else those, on the pretense of pretending to be somebody. Those else. those two characters though have never actually met on screen. I mean. I know. I'm just saying, yeah. if he's the yeah. smartest man alive, yeah. why didn't he get a hooker to be his eyes? Why doesn't he have new eyes? What the fuck? I don't know. We don't actually know the specifics of that accident he's that gotta, he had. He's got to bring those little balls around that are only put on him at certain times. What? Yeah, there's some type of memory module that allows what? him to like look at stuff. I, I, they, don't, they don't really explain it. It's sort of like you sort of infer it. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like jazz. Either. It's the notes that you don't hear, you know? But he saved jazz. Ryan Gosling. That's, damn it, don't, don't this is it. a different universe. Uh, uh, it's just in the future. <laughs> this is what happens when After. Ryan Gosling is allowed to own a this jazz This is what club. happens when you try to give La La Land. When you fuck a stranger in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when you try to give La La Land... Um, like it, would, it would have been great after Harrison Ford punches him. Go, Nobody fucking wants to go to Seb's. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. How about that scene? Because uh, the scene with the uh, the Harrison when Ford. When he's punching the shit out of him. punching him, him oh, in the bizarre yeah. Vegas showroom that has all the different X. That I actually included, like that. That included Elvis and yeah, the dancers and Liberace. Liberace? We were yes. giggling at that. You should be. But it was, fu- <laughs> it, was, it was fun because it felt like shit technology that yeah. had gotten old, but it yeah. also felt cool. Like, yeah. I kind of liked it. Looked it looked cool. And yet, it totally felt like you know, like what you're saying, in the sense that it's it's way behind the times of what we're seeing. Which, mm-hmm. uh, but it also feels like a precursor too. Like it, there's a clear lineage between what's going on in that antiquated room and the naked girl billboard yeah. that that talks to Ryan Gosling. But it felt like it was talk, it was so cool to see. Uh... Which two, what two, was that about? Was that? she the the naked girl billboard? Was that like? Was she in front of like a, a uh, an entrance to uh, a main boss? No. And no, all he had to do was like enter the cutscenes so that she would walk away or something. No. Like, okay. No. Now that, that is weird. That is supposed to be the it's visu- his the visual O's, O-S. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. supposed to be the same like I mean, model of joy it. that and it, and it says something that like his model of joy his joy is pretty yeah. much what is <laughs> essentially the. The, the factory setting, the, the, right. the basic setting. Because like he, he's not human, so he has no inspiration. He, he has no inspiration, no yeah. preferences in that way. He just takes it as... He, right. He wants the Emma Stone model. Man, damn it. All right. So before we get to final ratings... Oh, uh, yeah, before. Yeah, before we get to final ratings, we haven't really talked at all about the actual ending sort of culmination of this film. Before we get to the is, ending... Okay. Because this leads into the ending. Mm-hmm. Can I say my favorite scene of this movie? Are you talking about the scene with the daughter? Yes. 
Yes, the Where scene you, that I missed. That yeah, Tucson, I was gonna say that you missed. The Toussaint apparently went uh, was sleeping the first time he saw the film. I fell asleep wow. <laughs> exactly during the scene when so that whole thing transpired. It on your but first no, I time around and I watched yeah. it again. Yeah, um, but but I, uh, I, I, for, I want to talk about that okay. whole storyline. Yeah, so yeah. Go, go ahead. So that's why I started off by saying, as someone who didn't love this movie, mm-hmm. no scene in this movie enraptured me the same way that. Uh, the introduction to his daughter, which you don't know at the time, mm-hmm. but her scene in which she shows her process of, of how she creates memories. a memory, I thought it was fucking fantastic because it didn't go in too far in any direction. It didn't get over exp- uh, expository where I would have to like get hung up on the science of it. But the visualization of her literally... I don't know what you want to call it, but doing like an iPod click wheel version of of creating a memory and filling it in with the details. I thought was a great visualization of the futility of trying to remember uh, a memory as a whole instead of its uh, individual parts. You're painting the impressions of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I love the way it looked. I would have watched uh, an entire movie probably of her just doing that because I thought it looked great. And I thought her actually, for being only in, like, what, two scenes total, mm-hmm. I thought she did a fantastic job. Uh, I was most – I that's – if we ever get a sequel, uh, not that we should, but I would totally watch more of her at work because I loved it. What do you think about um, her – being uh, sort of like cloistered in this in this sort of hermetically sealed bubble, essentially because she has like some type of like lung condition or something like that. I think that a lot of people is that like bullshit. I, is it like th- Bubble Boy? I, I'm asking what your what your opinion of that is. Do you I'm feel do you feel like boy. that is they, in, his parents lied? To do him. you think that that is infantilizing her, or do you believe that? I mean, if they're able to take memories out of people and being able to no, refactor them into like replicants and stuff like that, and and that Kay had her memories, wouldn't wouldn't it come to suggest that like if they're trying to protect this girl, that they're trying to keep her away from other people as much as possible, and perhaps they gave her a psychosomatic memory that induced some type of like uh, situation where she felt physically ill and that she had to be sequestered yeah. from other people? Personally, my rating, which is extremely limited because obviously I didn't connect with this movie as a whole right. the first time around, but my personal rating is that I absolutely believe everything that she is saying, like in prison, so to speak, by is completely done to her. I don't think that... I do think it is somewhat bullshit or in some way man-made or something, you know, like where uh, it's being done to her. Whether I was going to say, does, does she necessarily know what it means to be ill if she's right. lived in this bubble for her entire life? I think the life? idea is that whoever put – do we know who put her there? We don't know, but okay. we do know that that is sort of a she's, – she's been working with Neander Wallace yeah. for a while now. She works as an independent contractor. I feel contractor. like Neander Wallace knows that isolating her will only come up with like uncorrupted memories, so to speak. No, like, wait a minute. She'll be able to com- Does paint with a blank canvas. Neander Wallace doesn't know who she is. No, 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 no. I'm not saying she did it. he did it for that reason. Right. I'm saying he did it for the reason of just getting a uh, superior product, like knowing that the isolation in and of itself will lead her to only draw on, shall we say, technical craft and mm. not so much be tainted by human experience. That, that's my reading. I, I thought, even though I only saw the very tail end of the scene that, that we're referencing, I thought... The uh, scene itself does not give you clues. You're no, just watching her at No, work. but, but I, I just but yeah. didn't see it. Right. So, you know... 
Um, but then seeing the finale of this film, uh, which uh, I, I got a little bit of a feel, uh, in, not in, in, in an exact way, but I felt a little bit uh, like Ryan Gosling was Bruce Willis from Die Hard at the end when he's laying down on, on the bench being like, ah, oh, that's enough of this shit. Like, uh, he sits down possibly to just rest to his death, whatever. And then it's the we, same thing he does in drive. Yeah. And then we really, and then we have, but he actually drives away. Does he though? Yes, he does. But does he? Yes, he does. The movie's called drive. So maybe that's no, his ultimate fuck. fantasy. No, it's not. No. But we have, he drives off into the night. That's Harrison Ford walking in and seeing his does a spirit daughter for the first time. Does he, ever indicate to her that he's no, he, the father. Right, right. Just... I am your... Yeah. And then you have a very interesting moment between the two of them where one knows something and the other doesn't, and then the, the, that's the ending of the film. Um, so if I can, can I go into my final thoughts? And yes, yes, please. Okay. Yes. So I give this film a three and a half out of five because I think this is a very well done film. Uh, and even though this is not necessarily my favorite genre in any way, shape, or form, I think this is a very well-done piece of filmmaking. Um, there's an intriguing story. There's very strong action sequences that are always you know, near and dear to my heart. And we have fantastic cinematography, visual effects, sound editing. Even the use of music throughout this film, I think, is very well placed. So this is just a fantastic done film that ultimately my read is is that it's set itself up for another film down the road. Um, whether... That will likely never happen. And we'll ne- and if, if by... Did we ever think this would happen? No, I did not. But by whatever... Maybe we're all replicants. By whatever serendipitous circumstances that might actually yield a follow-up to this film um, that would defy the, the the financial bomb status of 2049, I do not believe that it would be of this caliber. Yeah. And I feel like it, it would just be a case of... Honest, honestly, even inherently, it would, it would be a case of... Diminishing returns. I think that it's a miracle that this film is as good as it is. The fact that there is a potential for another Terminator and another Independence well, Day film. Ter- Terminator and Judgment Day are. I mean, Terminator and uh, uh, we're a long way from Judgment Day and Ind- Independence Day or whatever are, are 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 very different in that they are more beloved. Not that they're more beloved, but that they are oh, more by bu- the general population. They're more built mm. into the mold of a standard action sci-fi blockbuster. Yeah, it's more about explosions. It's more about shit blowing up. I think that Terminator only has resiliency so long as um, Arnold 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 Schwarzenegger is alive. I believe that as Don't jinx him. I'm, I'm just saying. It was just like it's it's built around just one person who is not even. Uh, who, who isn't even like really the main character of this of this franchise? He just happens to be kind of like he Blade became, Runner twenty forty nine. What the fuck are you talking? What? He became the main character after the second film. Yeah, he became the main character, and then he's not the main character. And it's like, well, yeah. At, at any rate, then Christian Bale's the main character, and then he yells at somebody, and then he doesn't have a job anymore. Oh, well, well, that's because he was the governor. Oh, he couldn't uh, be in that film. Yeah. Um, I still feel like this film tries to tee up a sequel, which is. That's pretty much par for the course for any Hollywood film uh, of of this decade, millennium. Um, but I think this is very quality work. 
Um, other than Prisoners, uh, which I still think is an absolute fantastic film that anyone should go see if, if they haven't seen it. I think this is Denny Villeneuve's best work to date other mm. than that film. I actually like this more than his previous two efforts that both I actually thought were good, but this is the best so far. And and I think this is just an overall very strong film. So three and a half out of five for me for this film. And um, I actually didn't hate Ryan Gosling as, as some people kind of were wishy-washy on his performance. I thought he would just fine here. So mm. three and a half out of five for me for Blade Runner 2049. I'm going to go. So that way you go. I mm-hmm. can just pass it right yeah, to go ahead, man. you. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really digging this movie because I really don't love the first movie. I do want to see it again one day. Uh, not one day soon, but when I'm in the right mood, I, I definitely do. I'm sure um, this will look great on full 4K. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I will say that just talking about it, uh, I think I'm going to raise it a little bit in that I'll say I'll give it two out of five, which for me is like means that it's the top of the mountain in that I didn't like it, but I'm ready to be persuaded, you know, otherwise. And that's what a second viewing might do. Mm. Um, so I, I admire it. I don't think it necessarily needs to do any, I don't know if it could do anything to make me personally uh, like it more. I just need to kind of start to meet it on its own terms. Right. And for that, I, I admire it. And I think that as a sequel, it's pretty bold. I don't think, even if I don't like this movie, I think more sequels should uh, crib from it when it comes to how to revive a property uh, in a new era. And right. I think that it absolutely nails. Uh, so for that reason alone, I, I give it two out of five, and I'm I'm ready to watch it again. So yeah. I I would have to echo a lot of Nick's sentiments. I think that this is. 2049 is a model for how you should engage with a, a source material in this way. I feel like it pays homage to it. I feel like it pays respect to it. But at the same time, it doesn't try to swing wildly and trying to establish itself, but rather it tries to hone in on what are the core appeals and gratifications of the original and distinguishing those on its own right to add to that. That feels natural to um, – that of its predecessor. I feel like it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a substantive companion piece to the original. It feels like it could exist in that same universe and it makes itself distinct enough to, to have its own identity. Now, the ways that it makes itself distinct, I really love the color grading. I really love a lot of the cinematography in this. As I said before, like the whole, the whole scale of it, of like setting it outside of these areas and not really centralizing in the, the city itself. Because I feel like the city is one of the most, defining aspects of Blade Runner in general is like I just I know I get that it was trying to tell a different story and I get that it was trying to broaden out the universe in, in that way but I feel like something that was intrinsic to that of the identity of Blade Runner which is the navigation of urban areas was lost on the cutting room floor which is saying a lot seeing as how fucking long this this movie was and it was just, supposed to be four hours apparently with like a two volume type you know, yeah, that, that's uh, that's that's pretty fucking nuts. Can I say something on top sure. of what you're saying? Yeah. Um, I think one thing in this movie's favor is that I like by the end of this movie, the the central not message but the mode is that this movie has the audacity to think that it is as connected or it is as reminiscent Hmm. as its predecessor because by the end you find out just how tenuous it is and that is a great way of uh shall we say 
viewing with expectations because if you go in thinking you're one thing and you're going to find out it's never going to live up to that so i i just i don't know why are you talking about through the through the, the idea the, that the the, the, know, the, the, the analog of of k's own character yeah and how he thinks he's oh. Decker. and that almost is like a weird vehicle like a microcosm of of a of, sequel of of the yeah. of the film itself yeah. lending lending to its predecessor yeah. and really having to be its own thing yep. Opposite of that, of like, yeah, I, I, okay, I, 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 I sort of, I see where you're where you're coming from with that. Yeah, it's like that's that's a that's a good, good comparison. Um, I did not like Jared Leto. I think that it's it's not so much a matter of like I actively have a disdain for him. Well, I do have that. I do have actually have a disdain for him. But I think like in the case of this film, I just don't feel like he really brought anything to the role of Neander Wallace. I don't understand the hype that surrounded. His his appearance, either in this film or in the prequel film that came out before that, I think that um, his ego is overinflated. I don't know why people keep on giving him jobs and high profile properties. Not because I think that he is is naturally abhorrent, though he is abhorrent. I actually, yeah, he, I do think he's abhorrent. But I just I don't I don't understand. Like he's 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 like fucking. He's like butter. He's like he's like bland butter that you just put on something, and it's just like it doesn't taste like anything. It's just there. He's still going off that Oscar win. A few he's still years he's ago, still going off right? that he's still he's still going off that Oscar win, and he's gonna be in a new Tron film. And oh I think, god! And I think that's fucking awful. Don't say that. Don't. <laughs> why? Why not say that? Because. Because now it now now it hits home for you. Yeah. We'll deal with it. Guess what? That's what's happening now. It's well, happening. Your Blade Runner is my Tron. Well. Yeah. Okay. That's that's cool. I, I I understand that. Yeah. Like. Okay. I like Tron too. Tron two. I like Tron Legacy. Yeah. I like I like I like the Tron franchise as well. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So for my final, my my final score for this film, I'm gonna have to give it a. You know, I'm I'm really hovering between a two and a half and a three on this film. I think that it's very very good. I think that it's 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 inarguably a really good film. I just don't know how it, it it just leaves me feeling so cold. And I and I and if I was looking at it in isolation, if I was looking at it on its own and not being like a Blade Runner film, I don't know how I would have to look on this this because it is it is inarguably a Blade Runner film. But comparing it to the What ori- is it if it's not its brand? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not anything outside of that and I I can't help but compare my initial impression to the first Blade Runner and how that has stuck with me over the past 10 years in the, in how distinct that experience was with this one which just feels so ephemeral compared to that and yet it was a very beautiful film all the same I think that it is a It's like having sex with your operating system I think know? that it like, is You think it's there but at the end of the day it's like you know you didn't come in anybody I I think that it is a – I think it's a great film. I think that it's a naturally imperfect sequel because I feel like there's no way that you can create a, a, a consummate sequel to that of Blade Runner because you're, oh, not, you're, you're, not making, you're not making a sequel not just to the film itself. You're also making a film to an impossible standard of what Blade Runner ended up becoming outside of the space of it being a film. And so I feel like that itself is impossible. No, and I agree. And we're going to see the same thing later this year with Daddy's Home 2, I think, uh, where – it's like, how does this movie step outside of the shadow of the original Daddy's Hope? Um, 
I'm at least interested because John Lithgow is so, in there. So I made a daddy's home joke. Yes, That's fine. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Nick. Thank you. I love thank, me. thank you for throwing me off my my train of thought in that way. I mean, could you I'm have sorry. any two polar opposites? John Lithgow, who looks like the most delightful man, and then you have Mel Gibson in the other corner, who who's is a horrible like person, the devil. So yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Anyway, yeah. god damn it. Um. Damn it, sorry. now I forgot my last point because you did sorry. that shit. I'm sorry, I was being a real bad mom. Oh, co- also coming this Christmas. Ooh, I heard the early reviews for that are not good. All right, fine, I'm done. Two and a half. Two and a half okay. Out of, two and a half out of three. Thank two and a half out of five, yeah. Two and a half out of three. <laughs> two, and a half Whoa. Out of, two and a half out of five. We yeah. are changing the scale. No, we're not. We're not changing two the scale. Two and a half Baba Dukes out of three. <laughs> no, stop. It's a resurrection. It's great. Speaking of resurrection, that oh. leads us perfectly into our next episode. Speaking of what? Uh-huh. So we're going to get together with our friend Sam, who's been on multiple previous episodes. And she's going to join us so we can do an episode on Beetlejuice, which is very exciting. So ah. I know, right? See what I did with the res- resurrection yeah, thing? Yeah, I get yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. No, I think it'll be a fun episode. And it's it's a very goofy movie, so... It is. Um, it's an extremely it's not a very goofy, goofy movie. movie. Yeah, it's, it's but it's definitely the original. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So we're gonna get away from. I can't wait to see Sam again. Yeah, yeah. I hope she's no. doing okay. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's been it's been a little she's still while. Alive. You're a, you're a bad person. <laughs> oh boy. So, anyways, that we can look forward to on episode 131. If you have any feelings out there on either Blade Runner 2049, the original Blade Runner. Or Beetlejuice. You can also, always send them on to us. Sam, please contact us. We're worried. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You can always contact us, Sam or anybody, at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. From Nick Cheney, who graced us with his presence for the second half of this episode. Anytime. <laughs> to Sonny again and myself, Alex Diegman. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. Peace.